It has been quite the week, hasn't it? A week ago, we gathered it to celebrate deeply the resurrection. The fact that through the cross and the resurrection, Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he is raising us up into new life with him. There is so much to celebrate between the resurrection and a celebration of a marriage yesterday. It has been a week, and I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little tired this morning. It's good. And I think that in the early days, right after the resurrection, the apostles are standing around and they have just seen Jesus and they're spending time with Jesus and they are also tired and overwhelmed from celebration. I, I like to believe that after the ascension, the disciples took a nap. <laughs> At least I would like to take a nap, um, but as we have been celebrating the resurrection, as we had a wonderful time together celebrating the new life that we enter into, the new kingdom that God has laid out here and now, I have been pondering this question all week. What do we do following the resurrection? What comes next? You see, I think all of these questions that we ask about what do we do now, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ, it, they really are pointing to this question, what do we do about following Jesus? If we believe in the cross, if we believe in the resurrection, if we have called Jesus the Lord of our lives, it means that we are seeking to follow Jesus. And this question of what do we do as a follower of Jesus is an important one because Jesus reorients our entire life. Jesus changes everything. And if we are a follower of Jesus, what that means as his disciples, as those who are learning to live more and more of their lives like the life of Christ, our lives have to change as a result. And so from the very beginning, following the resurrection, the big question that the church that is now formed is asking is, how do we follow Jesus together? How do we form our lives and how do we organize our lives so that every part of our lives now look different or is transformed because we have a new teacher, we have a new Lord? His name is Jesus. And when we follow Jesus, what happens, you and I, over time, more and more of our lives Every part of our life, not just our spiritual life, but every part of our life is changed and hopefully over time looks more and more like the life and the character of Jesus. That is what we aim to do as the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, Paul is writing to the church and he says this, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. In other words, what we do now following the resurrection is we seek to orient our lives around Jesus. 
And that is why the church exists. You see, from the very beginning, following the resurrection, we see that the church is gathered and organized and spreads out across the world. But the church is organized for a particular reason, to help us transform into the image of Christ together. And so we see from the very beginning that we want to live lives of worship that help us make sense of the good news of the gospel. We see in the book of Acts that we have an image, a glimpse of what the early church first looked like, how they organized their lives and how they changed their practices because we have to remember that at the beginning we are taking the Jews who have been worshiping God and now because of Jesus, all of their worship is reoriented and reorganized to reflect the life of Christ that we now see. And so in Acts 2.42, we get this great image and description of what the church was doing. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what the church was doing as they sought to follow Jesus together. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. In the next three weeks, what we want to do in this new sermon series is look at the way that we organize our Sunday worship gatherings. Because when we gather for worship, we we gather to give God praise and we gather so that we can to be encouraged and remember what God has done in our lives and be transformed into the image of Christ. And over millennia now, the church has been gathering together to worship and has developed some practices that help us point towards God and point towards one another in the community as we follow Jesus together. And we want to break this down to help us understand why we do what we do on a Sunday morning as we gather for worship. And when I look at this, we can kind of break it down into three elements of the worship service. And those elements I would break down as one, teaching. Whenever we have a sermon, we are teaching the things of God. We are teaching the word of God. We are teaching so that we can take on practices that help us as a follower of Jesus. There's teaching, and then there's what I would say is liturgy. And for some of us, we did not come from church backgrounds that were liturgical, or some of us came from church backgrounds that were very liturgical. But I would describe liturgy as this. Practices that help reorient our worship back to God. And so liturgy can take the form of anything from a call and response for the call to worship to communion. They're all practices that we do together as the church body that help point our worship and our practices towards God. And finally, there's music. You see, music helps us contemplate the goodness of God, and it points our praise and our worship in our particular direction back to the throne room of God. These things, teaching, liturgy, and music, they all help us form an identity of worship as we live into covenant community together. And more importantly, they help form us as disciples of Jesus. And so the two questions that we are going to be asking in the next three weeks are this. Why does our worship include these three elements? 
And the second question that I think is even more important than the why is what effect do they have on my formation as a disciple of Jesus Christ? And so this morning, I want to start off by talking a little bit about teaching. You see, we live in a Western-educated world, and we place a lot of emphasis on teaching. And so I should not have to spend a lot of time convincing you that teaching is an important part of what we do in worship. I think we all kind of get that. And especially as Presbyterians, there's an age-old joke that say that Presbyterians believe that they were given bodies so they could walk their brains to church. Um, I, I hope you guys thought that was a little funnier than you gave me a reaction, but that's okay. We're still working on waking up. But uh, we have always placed a large emphasis on teaching, not just in the church, but in our culture at large. There's a reason why I am standing in front of a lectern in front of you. And in fact, you know what? I'm going to set this aside so that we can maybe change the room a little bit. Whoa, this is, this is crazy. I feel like the room just opened up. <laughs> But we, we love teaching. Everything that we do from the way that we operate school to our worship services to our Thrive Kids ministry are all really oriented around teaching people knowledge with the hope that knowledge will lead to practice. And why do we teach? Well, we teach because Jesus himself was known as a teacher, Uh, I want to actually open up our Bibles this morning, uh, and we're going to open up to Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18, because Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, this is a passage in which he is calling his first disciples, or shall we say his first students. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So you see here that Jesus is known as a rabbi. In fact, throughout all four gospel accounts, Jesus is referred to by the crowds um, as either teacher or rabbi more than any other title. He is known by the crowds as a teacher, a rabbi. And Jesus here is calling his first disciples. You see, for all rabbis and teachers, they would call disciples who would come and learn to live life like them. And so Jesus was not just somebody who was standing and teaching, but Jesus wanted to have students that were living their life with him, pouring into them, teaching them, but also embodying practices. For, for us to understand Jesus as a teacher is very important for us to know and to remember that Jesus was more about teaching his disciples the practices of the way than just mere knowledge. A little fun fact here as we read Jesus calling his first disciples, um, the NIV translates it as, I 
follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. But I think a better translation is follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And we hear that and we're like, that's a really cute pun. You know, Jesus is is calling these fishermen and he's like, come on, you know, follow me and I'm going to make you fishers of men. And and that's true and it's a fun saying, but there's actually a, a deeper meaning. It's actually an idiomatic saying that rabbis back then when they were calling their disciples, they would say something similar to follow me and I will make you fishers of men, which really meant come, follow me, learn everything that I have to offer so that you too can be like me. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men is an invitation to be a learner, a student under a teacher, a rabbi for us under Jesus. And he gives the same invitation to us followers of Jesus to come learn from him and we will in turn be like him and do what Jesus did. However, Here's my concern with the way that we view teaching and preaching in the church nowadays. I worry sometimes that we come and we learn and we even open up our Bibles, we open up our journals, we take vigorous notes, we, we're really excited about learning so that we too can become better followers of Jesus. And then we go out into the week. And on Monday morning, we wake up with every intention of being the best follower of Jesus that we can, who have learning and using everything that we have learned about following Jesus. But we wake up, and our alarm wasn't set right, and so now I'm late for work. And my coffee pot isn't working, and I haven't even left the door, and I'm struggling. And so I, I just think really hard. I'm going to be like Jesus today. I'm going to be a really, really good follower of Jesus. And I go and I hit traffic because anywhere around Atlanta is going to have traffic. And somebody cuts me off. And, you know, I'm thinking, come on. And then I get into work and I have an antagonistic boss. And and already it's not even (laughs) 8.30. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Great boss. If anybody asked me, best boss in the world. And it's not even 8.30. In my case, it's not even 11.50. And I am struggling. And so I become short-tempered. And very quickly, all my actions that I wanted to look like a follower of Jesus, and now I, I just look like a really frustrated guy. Our issue with teaching in the church is that we don't know how to train well. We are people that have spent a lot of time learning. We know a lot of things about God. We know what kind of people we want to be. And yet when it comes time to be those people, we simply cannot do it because we have not trained well. We are a really good trying church, but we are not a good training church. Let me share with you a story about how I learned that I'm not very good at training. I was a a freshman at the University of Michigan. I was the top of my class in high school. um, And so I came into Michigan thinking that I was going to light the world on fire, man. And so I show up into my organic chemistry class, very excited, very excited. I, I 
attend every 8 o'clock a.m. lecture. Yes, I woke up for my 8 a.m. classes. I, I showed up, I took vigorous notes, I took pictures of the giant chalkboard of, of all of these diagrams. I, I tried my best to follow along. I was like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I got to the first exam and I failed. Pretty miserably. Um, I got a 50 and then somebody in the last service said, a 50 on organic chemistry exam is really good. And I'm like, that's not the point that I'm trying to make. I bombed, I tanked, and it's not because I didn't try really hard. I showed up, I listened to my teacher, I tried really hard on that exam. But what I learned following that exam was I actually had no idea how to study. For all of my life, I have shown up and I've been naturally good at things, and that still, to many ways, applies to my life today. I showed up to school. I was naturally really good at things. And so I never actually had to train to bring up my competency in an area that I was, I was weak in until I got to organic chemistry. And when you fail like that, it feels pretty defeating because you have every intention of getting better. As followers of Jesus, we have every intention of looking like Christ. I truly believe that we have the best of intentions, that we, we leave the Sunday worship gathering and we want to go proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is here and now, and we want to be the best ambassadors of Jesus that we can. But we just fail because we don't really know how to train. We're really good at trying. But here is what I have learned about training. Let's take an example, practicing to run a marathon. I've never run a marathon. I think after this I'm going to go train to run a marathon. Um, but I did a little bit of research, okay? So if I were to go out tomorrow to just try running a marathon, it's going to go pretty poorly. Um, I'm in decent shape, but... I really have not run in a while. Uh, I might be able to make it, but I'm going to be dead afterwards if I do. But I learned that you put together a training regiment, and in your training regiment, you're actually focusing each day on some component that is going to make you better at being able to run the race when it comes time to run it. And so one day I might do a speed workout, one day I might do something to build up the leg strength, but one of the most important things about marathon training is one of the days of your week of training is what you call a distance run day. And when you start out, you start off with a relatively low distance, like say five miles. Maybe my goal is to start off and on my distance day, I'm going to run five miles. I haven't run in a while, so let's say on my distance day, I'm going to run three miles, okay? Um, and so I'm going to start off week one on my distance day, I'm going to run three miles, and that's going to be great. But then the next week, I'm going to add a couple miles to my distance day, and each week, my distance day becomes a little longer and a little longer and a little longer, and if I keep training, if I keep working on different things that are going to help my ability to run the race, by the time it comes to running the marathon, I'm able to string together these different skills. I've now built up an endurance that I can, in fact, have the ability to finish the race that I started. For us, when we think about teaching, 
It's not that we need to negate the learning of knowledge. We actually need to place even more emphasis on knowing the things of God, of of knowing the word of God, knowing the character of God so that we can rely on it, so that we can attest and proclaim it to our neighbors. But what we need to begin to do is we need to begin a training regimen of becoming and looking more like Jesus. And a lot of times... I think about this, and and I would love the ability to meet with each single one of you after a service and go, all right, what are you going to work on this week? Are you going to work on kindness? That's great. Like, what are are you going to do in order to to work on kindness so that you can look more like Jesus? These These are practices that we can do so that when it comes time and when we are tested, instead of being a frustrated, short person, I look a little more like Jesus. But in case you're not aware, if this is the classroom and you are the students, we have a pretty terrible student-to-teacher ratio here at Evergreen Church and in most churches, right? But here's the good news. If you are a follower of Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, if you desire to look more like Jesus in your life, then the Holy Spirit dwells in you. What a great teacher to have, right? If the Holy Spirit dwells in you, that means that God is in you, and God is the one responsible for training you up in godliness. It's this big Christian word that we use, sanctification, right? If the Holy Spirit is in you and with you, what that means is that we now have an ability to ask ourselves, God, how are you calling me to practice and learn to be more like you? And the Holy Spirit will answer and will help you. And this is such a great thing that we can rely on. And so the next three weeks, as we're talking about the practices of our, of our Sunday worship gathering that point us in the direction of God and into the direction of Christ-likeness, I want us to, to try experimenting with something during the service. And not just during the sermon, but during the whole worship service, the music, the liturgy, the teaching. I want us to ask this question. God, How are you getting my attention, and what do you want me to do about it? Because if we ask that question, if we we begin to intentionally invite the Holy Spirit into our training process, we will be amazed at what God brings to light. We will be amazed at what God speaks and says to us. And if we are a congregation that intentionally seeks to be formed into the image of Jesus. Can you imagine what Peachtree City would look like? What Noonan, what Fayetteville, what our neighborhood would look like as a result? I think it would look a little more like the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together.